us now to 1 Peter, the first chapter. We began this book of 1 Peter last Sunday, and we saw in the first half of the chapter that Peter was basically talking to people about how to live life the best that we can in light of the times in which we live, which can be difficult and challenging. And most of what we saw in those first 12 verses was all focused on our identity, focused on who we are. Because until you understand who you are, you can't possibly live out a life that is a response to who you are. You can't, as Paul had told the Ephesians, walk worthy of the vocation to which you were called unless you understand what that vocation is actually worth. And so he lays this foundation for life based on who we are in Christ. And now in the second half of the chapter, he focuses his attention on pretty much a singular concept, and that is the concept of holiness. And so what we're going to look at this morning in these verses is to see what it means to be holy. And here, beginning with verse 15, this is the heart of the passage, verses 15 and 16, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, holiness is a concept that people have been responsible really for giving it a bad rap in some ways. For most of us, when you think about holy, the connotation with that or the idea of it is sometimes someone who is holier than thou, someone who is comparing themselves to others and thinking, I'm better than you are. Sometimes we think of holy as being austere or very serious. Sometimes our idea of holiness is that God wants us to be the kind of people who don't ever smile or who can't have fun or who just, if you feel like doing it, it must not be holy. Holy is almost boredom. And that's kind of the idea that some of us grow up with. And so when, when people start talking about you need to be holy, God wants you to be holy, we usually brace ourselves to go, what are we going to miss now? What is it that's going to be, okay, now we, do I need to feel guilty that I saw the new Toy Story movie? Is that what this is going to be about? Or is this the week when, again, we get rid of our TVs? Or we, you know, but... Holiness isn't about that at all. It's an important word to understand, but there isn't one English word that translates over to holy. The word holy is such a broad term. The bottom line of it is that God wants us to be more like him, but he doesn't mean that in a way that he's trying to rip us off from anything of who we are. Holy, in the Old Testament, the word usually had a connotation of being separate or different or clean. And that's a part of the word holy for sure. And if I was going to assign one word to that aspect of holy, it would be the word special. When we talk about holiness, it's special. It's in a special place, in a place of honor and value. But holiness also has the connotation of being complete. It's why the English word for holy came from the same root as the word whole, W-H-O-L-E, not H-O-L-E. Uh, you know, complete and total is a part of the word, just the full package. 
Also, we use the word whole, and in fact, the English word health comes from also the same root word. So holiness is being special, being valuable, but also being healthy, being complete. We talk about holistic medication, encompassing, well, today holistic medication usually means believing in all kinds of kooky, superstitious things, but the concept of the word is the total package. And so, and then also whole means clean and pure, simple and unadulterated. So when you take that whole concept together, the entire concept of holiness means to be everything that you could possibly be, everything you were designed to be, complete, total, pure, um, undamaged, uncluttered, uh, spacious. It's the idea of having a healthy influence on others and being healthy yourself and really coming into the best life that you could possibly have. That's what perfection is. That's who God is, and that's what he wants us to be. And so he says, be holy like I am. Now, in order to get a little more of the picture of this, before we dive into this passage, let's turn back to Leviticus. It's the third book in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, because that's what Peter is quoting here. And this gives us an idea of when God first said this, be holy as I am holy, he broke it down. And he gave some examples of ways in which he wants people to be holy. And Leviticus 19, beginning with verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then he says, for instance... Revere your father and mother. Treat your parents nice. Keep the Sabbath. Take a day off. We go through in verse 5, he says, If you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. In other words, if you're going to give something to God, do it because you want to. Don't patronize me. Don't give something because you have to. Give it because you want to. Down in verse uh, 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. They would, when they harvested the fields, they would deliberately cut the corner short and leave some of the food around the edges. And this was kind of their welfare program in a way, but when people are traveling, you'd never have to go without something to eat because there was always some left there. And he said, when you go through and pick grapes, if you drop one, just leave it there and let poor people come. They would have to work for it. He didn't say gather it up and give it to them. But the idea was, don't be so greedy that you have to scarf everything up and not leave for other people. What a, what a nice, healthy concept that was to a society to have those kinds of things. So practical. And in verse 11, don't steal. Don't rip people off. Don't deal falsely. Verse 13, don't cheat your neighbor or rob him. Verse 14, don't curse the deaf. Don't, uh, you know, don't, don't take advantage of people who are disabled. Verse 15, don't be partial to the poor or honor the person of the mighty. Don't treat people differently based on their income. 
Verse 16, don't go about as a talebearer or a gossip. Verse 17, don't hate your brother in your heart. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance, and, uh, but, uh, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the concept of holy is act decent. Act in a way that's going to add to the environment, that's going to add to other people's well-being and yours as well. Basically, here God's saying, be holy because I am holy. In other words, quit being a jerk and just start being nice. That's all he's trying to say, how that would affect us. Now, here back in 1 Peter, he develops a little bit for us how to get there. Because we can look at our life and go, this is a terrible life. Everyone hates me. I don't have any relationships. I'm miserable. I'm paranoid. I'm at war with everyone. What's going on? That isn't what holiness feels like. Feeling like a constant victim, always feeling sorry for yourself, feeling like the deck is stacked against you, that's not what holiness feels like. Holiness feels like when you get up in the morning and feel like, I'm lucky. I'm really blessed. Life is working for me. It's starting to fall together. Now, that's a process. Holiness always is. But do you understand that when God gets up in the morning, of course, he doesn't have to sleep, but God is totally fine with things the way they are, even though everyone isn't perfect, God is still okay. God doesn't, when he sees us mess up, he doesn't get all bummed out and just, you know, get mad and throw a few, you know, hurricanes down on the earth just because he's so, you know, upset with who we are and what we're doing. God's so secure that every day is a good day for God. God is the essence of good. And he wants us to learn how to have that perspective as well, just for our lives to be complete and pure and simple and blessed and valuable. And so now he talks about, okay, here's how this works. And so beginning with verse 13, he says, therefore, now, this is on the basis of what we saw last week, and if you weren't here last week, you can get the CD of that, the definition of what we're worth, the definition of who we are in Christ. On the basis of that, he says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. And let's stop there for a minute. The point I want to focus on in these two verses is the idea that holiness, which then he introduces in the next verse, as we read, holiness starts in your head. Holiness starts in your mind. If you don't learn to think right, then you will never learn to live right. We live wrong because we think wrong. That's why Paul talks about the renewing of your mind. You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans 12. Well, Peter's saying the same thing. If you're going to be different, you're going to have to start thinking different because the destructive things in your life are coming about because of patterns of thought that you have. The first thing that he says is, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's kind of a weird expression. Some of you are familiar with it, others of you aren't, but in those days, men wore dresses, 
And so it was good insulation from the weather and dust and things like that. And so they would wear a dress. And it was held together by what they would call a girdle, which was a big belt. Now, you ladies who wear dresses a lot, especially if you're busy, if you have little kids or something, you know how sometimes they can get in the way. Well, that was really true of a soldier or a guy that maybe needed to run from somebody or to chase somebody. And so when they really needed to be ready to move, they tucked their skirt up in their belt, and that was called girding up your loins, putting your, your outfit up into your girdle. Your loins were just your hips. So it was like, get to the point where your hips are free to move. So what was this formal outfit ended up looking more like baggy basketball shorts, you know, and now you're ready to move. Now he says, gird up the loins of your mind. The word there for mind isn't just a simple word for your thinking, but it's a, a word that's sometimes translated imagination. It's the word that means your thoughts, uh, prefixed by the word that means through. And it's it, a really a good translation of that might be in your mulling through things, in your meditation or in your reflecting, in your chewing over what you think, gird up the loins of that. In other words, get ready to move, get ready to have your thinking expanded, get ready to think differently. Now this is the most basic presupposition of coming to Christ and becoming a Christian, is to recognize, I need to change. I need something different. If you were totally fine with your life apart from Christ, there's really no reason to come to him. And don't worry, he has ways of making you get sick of your life, and that'll happen. But until it happens, no one's ready to start over and start fresh with him. But it's the awareness of the fact that I might need to change. And that's where the flexibility comes from of girding up your loins. It's an openness. It's, it's coming to the thought that, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I want to know if I'm messing up. If I'm off track in any way, God, I, I, I want you to show me. I don't want to just keep being right. I don't want to just keep doing what I'm doing. If there's some radical change of of thought, some new concept that I haven't grasped that you have for me, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to go any which direction. I'm ready to move. I'm flexible. So Peter says, okay, you want to have holiness. You want to have the life that God has for you. First of all, get your, get your imagination, get your thoughts, get your, your heart open to a creative look at things, a fresh look, if you will. But then he says also, be sober. Now, that word uh, there is the same thing that when we use sober in terms of sobriety, to not be drunk. But it's used in a broader sense. It would certainly include not being drunk. But the idea is you can't afford to be affected by a bunch of outside influences that are going to hold you back from seeing what God has for you. And so you need to be clear-headed. Now, even in this passage, we will see some of the things such as your former habits and your former ignorances that might also bring you under their subjection. You know, what other people say about you could be those kinds of things. But the idea is, 
I want to clear the slate. I want to hear from God. And I don't want to be under any influence, whether it's what my parents told me or what church tells me or what society dictates or what economics dictate or anything else. I just want to have a pure and clean perspective. God, we start over today. What do I do? What do you want? What are you having for me? And so until we can get that mindset, we're so limited. I I talk to people all the time in counseling who really seriously want to know God's will. But when I talk to them, one of the first things I try to do is to get them to tell me what they won't do. Not because I think God's going to make us do what we won't do, but because when you come to God and say, okay, God, I want your will, but I won't do that. I won't do that. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do this. This is off the table. And so we're coming to him with this little bowl of something going, okay, God, any of these are okay with me. I mean, almost like we give God a multiple choice test. Okay, here's the deal, God. A, B, C, or D. Which is it? I'm ready to do your will. And God says, none of that multiple choice stuff with me. Will you do anything? Will you clear your mind of all of your prejudices and stop being under the influence of those? And, you know, again, as he says here, get ready to move. Get ready to be open to change. And then he says, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Get a grace mentality, but get an eternal perspective. And that's really where ultimately in our minds, we have to think long term. We can't think just immediacy. We can't think short term. We need to realize that our hope is in that grace that's going to unfold for eternity. And so to be holy, we have to have that eternal perspective. We have to have that eternal hope. And then he, gives an, he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. And again, the idea is, get in your mind the idea that you don't want to do it the way you used to do it. In other words, do you want to be little kids or do you want to grow up? We all have parts of our lives that we're ashamed of. We all have things that we've done in our lives that were completely counterproductive. And Jesus Christ died for all of them, and he's already forgiven them. So there's no reason to trip out on, oh, you know, I'm so awful. Because that's not how God sees you. He sees you as being holy and perfect in him. But he does want you to go, I do want to grow up. I do want to get past where I've been. And so he says, in the past, you kind of did things from what felt good. You did things from your physical desires, your lusts. He goes, that was based on your ignorance. You, and it's not ignorant in terms of a slam. He's not, well, yeah, he is saying everything you used to do was stupid. <laughs> but that's not so much of a threat to the Lord who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The truth is we wouldn't do most of what we do if we knew what we were doing. But what Peter is saying here is, in your mind, come to the point where you decide, I want to grow up. I don't want to act out of ignorance. I want to learn. I want to hear from God. And if there's a new way of doing it, if there's a new approach, if there's a change or a shift that you want to make in my life, I don't want to be a habit formed person who's just all dictated by what's happened before. 
I, I, I want to grow up. And so all of this centers around the mindset that's required in order to discover a life of completeness. You're never going to find the best life that you can have until you allow your mind to be renewed and to start to think fresh and to allow the Spirit of God to really open up to you things that at one point you thought weren't options, that you thought were just closed. And so, then he says, because as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is going to affect your whole life because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And now he begins to talk about the basis for holiness. The prerequisite for holiness is a mind that grows up, is getting your mind in the right place. But now the grounds for holiness actually become something that he spent the first 12 verses talking about, and that is understanding who you are, and especially understanding what you are worth. People who live inferior lives do so because they have no idea what they're really worth. And it's an honest mistake because this whole world is trying to tell you you're not worth much. There are people who have been in your lives, maybe even your parents were the type of people who tried to devalue you and make you feel cheap, make you feel useless, make you feel insignificant. And so you've been programmed that all along. Well, here this revelation comes along that God wants you, that he values you, that he sees you as being special and holy, and that's an adjustment. But he goes ahead and outlines for us a little bit how that works. He says in verse 17, and if you call on the Father, remember back in, uh, in uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, he talked about God our Father. He says, you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Without partiality, that, it's a really long word in the Greek that means he doesn't receive people based on face value. God isn't the type of person who's impressed with veneer. I was looking for file cabinets the other day, and a used file cabinet for my office, and, and I went out and looked at several, and they all say, I go, I want to make sure it's wood because I need to try to stain it to sort of match the crummy furniture I already have. So everybody says it's wood, and you get there, and it's pasted on veneer. And they think that there's no difference. I ended up buying one with a veneer top, but I put so much junk on top of it, you can't tell, and that's how it happened. But what he's saying is God isn't the type of person who wants veneer. And, and so the idea there is God's not just trying to get you to jump through hoops. He's not the type of God who is impressed by surface, so... Don't give him surface. He wants your heart. But he says he judges according to each one's, and that means every individual's work. They're ergon, what they do. So he says, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your vacation here, literally, in fear. Now we'll come back to that in a minute. Because he explains it by saying, here's what you need to know in order to have that. He says in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. He didn't just buy you with silver and gold. 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, what God wants from you is more than just like, well, my parents are Christian, so I'm a Christian. Cool. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. (laughs) What a statement. Do you understand that you weren't just purchased with money? That you weren't just randomly kind of, yeah, whatever, I'll take him, him, and him. But for each one of us, God's Son, Jesus, had to give his precious blood, lay his life on the line, give himself completely, and be a man for all of eternity. Why? Because you were that valuable to him. You mattered that much to him. And Peter's point is, you are living your lives in cheapness, and you don't understand what God paid for you. And he sees you as being incredibly special. And If you don't get a grip on that, if you don't understand that, then you will never learn to live the life that he has for you. You'll never discover holiness. You'll never have that thing where you're becoming more like God. Now, in every one of us, we look at God. He's totally independent, does whatever he wants. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing and all these things. And We look at God and we go, I want to be like that. And the world provides a bunch of shortcuts. It started in Genesis 3 when the serpent came to Eve and said, if you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll be like God. And she was like, ooh, I want to be like God. But the truth is, that's a desire that's within every one of us. We, everything that God is, we would love to be more like that. He's omnipotent. We would love to have more power. He is omniscient. We would love to know more. He is omnipresent. We would love to have an influence that spreads out beyond our own borders. It's the plan of God to make us more like God. John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. There's something that happens in us when we realize we are made to be more like him. If we do things more his way, we will have more power, we will have more knowledge, we will have more influence, we'll have more peace, we'll have more love. Everything about our life will be different. Life will be completely satisfying the more we become more like him. And so Peter understands that, and he says it all has to start with what you think you're worth. If you think you are a piece of garbage you will never be holy. And there are some people who try to make you holy by telling you you're garbage. It just doesn't work. For somebody to tell me, oh, you're nothing, you're worthless, you're a piece of trash, I don't go, wow, I want to live up to that. That's great. (laughs) But when somebody says, you are so valuable, you're so special to God, and he wants you to be even more special, to get that to soak into us is positively transforming in our lives. 
Now let's take a step back, though, because how about that fear thing? Now, I would love to tell you that the Greek word for fear actually means respect. You've heard that a million times, because that's the easiest way to explain what the Bible says by simply changing the definitions. The truth is, there's nothing about the word phobos that means respect. It means fear. And every time it's used, they translated it that way for a reason. Sorry. So, I don't get this. You're saying that I'm really valuable to God, but I ought to be afraid? You're saying that, well, again, let's back up to that verse. He says, he's your father. And he doesn't judge people on the surface. So don't bother polishing the surface to impress him. But he... uh, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And then he expounds on fear when he says, knowing this, you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. So what am I afraid of? And I think what Peter is trying to say is, you ought to be scared to death to waste what Jesus Christ did for you. You ought to feel an awe about, wow, I'm that special to him? He died so that I could be holy? Now, what does that have to do with me? I'm frankly scared to miss that opportunity. I don't want to blow that. It's kind of like if you have an old vase in your house that it's ugly, but your grandma gave it to you. And so it's kind of like, you know, if we throw that away, it's kind of like trashing grandma. Maybe her ashes are in there and you're just like, yeah, but this thing's ugly. And somebody comes into your house and they go, where'd you get that? And you go, I don't know, my grandma. And they begin looking at it and they say, you know, this comes from the Ming Dynasty in China. It's worth like $100,000 easily. We actually have one somewhere that was supposed to be worth a lot, but somebody had drilled a hole in it so the water could get out and I found out that makes it worthless. But <laughs> thanks. But, but all of a sudden when you find that that vase is really valuable, You're a little nervous. You're afraid of breaking it. You might put it in a display case or treat it a little better. Later on, Peter says, husbands, treat your wives that way, like they're delicate, like they're valuable. And so here what he's saying is, knowing what you are worth ought to scare you. Knowing what's at stake, knowing what it cost, knowing what God's son went through so that you could have a holy life, you got to be scared. See, every one of us is so influenced by sin. Every one of us is so influenced by the lies of the world that cheapen and bring us down. And, and so, in a sense, there's, there's hell inside of us. And what Peter is saying is, this ought to scare the hell out of you because you just go, that's awful to waste the blood of Jesus to insult him when he loves me that way, to to take what he has done for me and just to go, nah, whatever. See, I am afraid. Because when, when I realize the Holy Spirit's inside me and he's guiding me and he tells me don't do that, I'll be honest with you, I'm afraid to do it. I'm really afraid to go against what he says. Because I think God won't forgive me? No, not at all. But because I'm afraid because I know he knows what he's doing. And if he says, don't go there, and I go there, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. 
And if he tells me to do something, I'm afraid not to do it because I want everything that God has for me out of life. I don't want to waste a day. I don't want to waste an opportunity. I'm afraid of doing that. And as a result, when I focus on the value that he places in me, I don't, you know, I won't waste anything. I will not, I don't want to live my life with no discipline. I don't want to just blow off a day for no reason. I don't want to waste a bunch of my time in mindless activities. I'm afraid of that because he put such a value on me that I want to put a value on me. And it's only out of understanding what you're worth that you will ever learn to live the life that God has called you to live. And so the basis for holiness is value. The, the, the prerequisite for holiness, change your mind, change your way of thinking. The basis for holiness is what you're worth. Who we're running out of time. Um, but I'll get through this, you know me. <laughs> Just let the, let the third service people worry about where they're going to park. <laughs> so then he says in verse uh, 22, since you have purified, and by the way, the root for purified there, this is the verb form of the word that's translated holy earlier, hagios. This is hagiidzo if you care. Since you have made your souls holy, in obeying the truth. That's happened. Your soul is special. Your soul is valuable because, because you put your faith in Jesus. Through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. He says... Here's what holiness looks like. Just like what we saw in Leviticus 19. Holiness looks like I care about people. I care about myself, so I take care of myself. I care about others, so I take care of them. I do what you're supposed to do. I do what leads to a richer, fuller life. And God always connects holiness with love. And he says repeatedly, if you don't love, you don't get it. If you aren't really passionately caring for others, and that's not obvious, then you are missing out on what life is all about. And so he says, what holiness looks like is love. And he goes, that's what you need to do. If you're not loving, you're not holy. I don't care if you're you know, not doing any horrible sins. I don't care if you're living your life following all the rules. Holiness looks like love. And so that's what, that's what that looks like. But then how you get there, he, notice in verse 23 where he says, um, we were born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And that's my last point. The word there for word is the word that you generally expect for word. It's the word logos. It's the whole package of God's revelation. And what he's saying is God's word is what transforms us and change, changes us and leads us to a richer, more full life. And he says, that happens, that's happened for you as you've given your life to Jesus Christ. It leads in love. But then he goes on and says, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So holiness ends up coming from the word. Now an interesting thing in those last two um, things that in verse 25, the word of the Lord, and later in verse 25, this is the word. Those are not the Greek word logos. Those are the Greek word rhema. And rhema was a specific utterance that was given to an individual. So what he's saying in all of this is, life is short. Everything that you feel, everything that you're thinking, everything that, that is apart from what God has for your life, you're going to be amazed how quick it goes away. You're going to be amazed how frail it can be. But he said, God's word, both in the totality of his word by which you come to know the truth and by those specific rhema words of God as he speaks to you, as he leads you, if you will listen to him, that will last forever. God speaking to you is a revelation from eternity that comes and meets us in time. And that's what ultimately is the good news. The good news is God loves you. He died for you. He wants to talk to you. And he can lead us to a life that is complete and whole and healthy and full and beautiful and effective and impacting and all of those things that we really want for our life, it comes when we listen to him. And that brings it full circle because it starts by your mind and it ends here with God speaking to your mind, God communicating with you. And in the center of it is that holiness is, is connected to the fact that I listen to what he says I'm worth. We have to put out of our minds and our awarenesses everything that anyone has ever told us that cheapens us and realize that we are really special to God and that he has a plan for our life. And if we are open to it and if we allow him to work and we see his love begin to unfold in our lives, he's going to speak to us and do amazing things, things that are permanent, things that last forever and it's so sad to still live like a child, to still live in our ignorance, to still live in that place whereby I'm just like, well, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Put everything, wipe the slate clean, and just go, God, I want to be completely who you want me to be. And you listen to God as he lets you know, you are incredibly special. Plenty of people have lied to you and made you cheapen your own concept of yourself. And that has robbed you from the wholeness, from the holiness that God has and what God wants. And so um, Peter, Peter was almost obsessed with this. And probably one reason why is that I imagine Peter took about as much garbage as you could imagine. Because his failures were so public. And and so embarrassing. It's really bad when you just go, Jesus, you say that everybody's going to leave you. These other 11 guys, yeah, but not me. And then he's the first one to deny him. And then he has to face the guys. Hey, guys, uh, yeah, you know what I said? I've, sorry, I, I, don't, I don't know. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> oh, man. And yet then to have Jesus come to him personally and say, I want you to feed my sheep. 
I want you to give the first sermon in the early church. I'm picking you for the main service. It's like Peter's going, Jesus sees something in me that I don't see in myself. And imagine when he gave that first sermon, never done it before, and he's just kind of rambling about everything in the Old Testament, the promises and everything, and then 3,000 people come forward and want to get baptized. Imagine. He goes, I didn't know I had it in me. And you go, well, you didn't have it in you, Peter. No, he did have it in him, and you have it in you as well, and so do I. Unlimited potential to see the power of the Holy Spirit work in our lives to bring about the kind of totality, to take all the pieces of the puzzle and to put them all together and have life really start clicking for us. That's what holiness is, and that's what he has for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for, first of all, what you did for us, choosing us, and sending Jesus Christ to die for us to forgive our sins, and calling us to follow you and to serve you. It's just unimaginable. And yet it took an imagination like yours to be open to such a thought, to be able to look at us and see potential. And you did that. And Lord, we desperately need to change our mind to be more like yours. Teach us to think like you. Teach us to expand our level of awareness, our level of imagination, our ability to comprehend as your Holy Spirit works inside of us, Lord. Change us so that what we do in our lives matches the inestimable value that you see in us that you sent your Son to die for us. It's so incomprehensible to us and yet so amazing that you see each of us and you say, that one is special now live like it. So God, help us to live like the special children of the amazing God. In Jesus' name, amen.